0: This is WMPG, my name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel afraid, vulnerable, ashamed, or just really uncomfortable, and yet they're subjects that we have a lot of feelings about. Tonight is the last in a series on bad mother anxiety. My guest is Dr. Jeannie Safer, and we're going to be talking about choosing not to have children. Dr. Safer is a psychotherapist in New York City with 35 years of experience. She's the author of four books, all on subjects that are somewhat taboo. Her most recent book is Death Benefits, How Being a Parent, How, excuse me, How Losing a Parent Can Change an Adult's Life for the Better. She's also right now working on her second book about siblings. This one's about sibling conflicts in adulthood. But the reason why I'm interviewing Dr. Safer is because she's the author of Beyond Motherhood, Choosing a Life Without Children. She's also the narrator of a documentary called A Life Outside Convention, Voices from the First Generation of Women Childless by Choice. Welcome to Safe Space, Jeannie Safer. I'm very happy
1: to be with you. What a wonderful topic and a wonderful idea of a place to discuss the unspeakable.
0: <laughs> we share a great passion for subjects that are taboo. So I want to ask you by to start out by telling your story about how did you get clear that you didn't want to have children, and then how hard was it to stay true to that?
1: Well, the hardest part was recognizing that I had made a decision without really acknowledging it. Once I did that, um, the rest has been fairly easy. I'm now 62. And I wrote Beyond Motherhood when I was in my late 40s. It came out in 1996. It was written before that, actually. And I started really realizing that I had to figure this out around the age of 35. I married at 33, so it wasn't an issue before that, really. And I found myself constantly postponing uh, whether to think about getting pregnant. And at some point, I realized that I was always picking an excuse. You mm-hmm. know, oh, we're, we're taking a trip to Indonesia. You know, I have to take malaria medication, or I'm teaching a class at 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, all these things that seem very compelling. But, of course, if you start to look at them, you realize that if you wanted to do it, you would do it. And fortunately, I was married to a man who um, I had told when we married that I had, I had doubts. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And luckily, he said to me that that was okay with him. So the decision... For better or worse, was mine.
0: Right, <laughs> you had no pressure from him.
1: There was no pressure from him, and um, some women struggle with. That. I mean, some women it's easier if the man it says, "I don't want a child." They marry somebody that doesn't want a child, so they don't have to think about it. Yeah, uh, that wasn't the case with me. So, I realized really around the age of thirty-five. It took me about five years to figure this out that I wasn't really wanting to do it. I mean, I was not comfortable with young children or with babies. Uh, when I, when I, a friend of mine would get pregnant, I would feel bad because I would feel I would be losing her, not gaining a child. And I really had to face the fact that I wasn't it, – it didn't – I didn't long for it. I mean, I had longed to be a therapist my whole life. I know what it's like to really want something. This just wasn't like that. And, of course, I felt terrible about that. You know, some women – decide very early that they don't want to be mothers Uh, and it's never an issue for them and there's a whole dynamic about that that we can talk about but I wasn't one of those I was one of the two-thirds called postponers you know that only figure it out at the last minute when the clock is ticking very well but and I just at some point I had to come to terms with the fact that I was making excuses and what that really meant is that I didn't necessarily want a child I wanted to want a child Right. Because of everything that it meant to be a mother and to not want to be a mother. And in our culture, uh, and many most cultures in the world, if a woman doesn't want to be a mother, she's not a real woman. You know, she's selfish, she's cold, she's ungiving, um, and she'll miss something that's so precious, the most important thing in life. So this was just and this was a, a, a terrible experience. I mean I, I wept about it, I thought about it, I tried to figure out you know, why I didn't want it. I, and then and so I wrote Beyond Motherhood as a response and a way to figure it out and to come to peace with what I realized was my own truth. And then I spoke to 50 other women from all over the country from the age of 20 to the age of 75 who had made the same decision. And I wanted to know, one of the most important things I wanted to know was, did they have regrets when they got older? Right, no kidding. Now, of course, it's a very hard thing to know when you're making the decision, you know, and that was also something we can discuss, what what I discovered from them, and also my own experience uh, vis-a-vis regrets.
0: So what did they tell you about regrets? I want to know.
1: Well... What they said is that surprisingly, although some of them had various kinds of feelings at different times, you know, a wish to be a grandparent or they could see their their uh, you know some of the delightful, wonderful experiences that their friends had with children, that most of them really felt fulfilled in their lives. That's what they told me. And I was particularly interested in hearing it from the 75-year-old woman.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, there's a section in the book where you talk about facing the end of your own life without
1: children. Yes. And also facing what your non-biological legacy can be. Because, you know, when you have children, certain things are easy. Your definition of yourself, um, you have something to talk about at cocktail parties. Not that people necessarily want to hear about your children, but like, you can talk about them. Um, and you know, where to, what to, you know who to leave your possessions to. Right, but here I had all the stuff, and I didn't know who to leave it to, right? Yeah, so, and that kind of it's not so much about the stuff, but it's about the sense that you are the last of your line. You mm-hmm. have no heir to leave when you die, And there's something chilling about that. You' are the end. And it makes you think about mortality in a way that parents can postpone. They don't. They can't avoid it completely because we're all mortal. Uh, and we also have a lot of fantasies that if we have children, they'll take care of us, which isn't necessarily the case. But you know there's not going to be a child to take care of you when you don't have one.
0: <laughs> right. You have to face that. You have to
1: make plans. Yes. Yes. You have to face a lot of things that other people don't face. And I also believe that if you've had any struggle about this, You also have to do a lot of grieving because there is no way around the fact that not having a child is a loss. Now, I also believe, and this is, you know, since we're talking about taboo topics and controversial things, that there are losses involved in being a mother as well as losses in not being a mother. In fact, there ain't no way out of losses in life. Right. You know, we all have regrets. There are things that I have that no mother has, and there are things that mothers have that I don't have. And I think you really have to face loss in life. And that was one of the things that I made it my business to do. And, and I'll tell you the happy ending of this, um, at least so far. I don't know what the future will hold. But um, when I was in my mid-50s, I had to have hysterectomy. And I thought, well, what is this going to feel like? You know, somehow, you hit this fantasy that as long as you have a uterus, at least, you know, right. with, with all the medical technology, I can have a child at 90, right? Right. I did not grieve at that point. I had grieved already. I didn't feel like less of a woman. I mean, I didn't like having the operation, but I, I realized that I had done it. And that was a great source of comfort.
0: What an affirmation of all the work that you did.
1: I really, I am very proud of it. And... I'm proud of the women that I talked to about it who did the work too.
0: So it's an interesting thing what you say about the importance of facing loss, both women who choose to be mothers and those who choose not to be. And, um, you know, I know there's a whole movement now called the Child Free Movement, yes. which I think in some ways min- tries to minimize that. And I wonder if you might comment about yes, that. Yes, I'm not a
1: fan, <laughs> no. <laughs> as you might not be surprised to know. I think, look, it's fine if a woman makes the decision very early in her life that she doesn't want a child, all power to her. But this kind of aggressive notion that we're not missing anything, everything is fine, you know, we don't like breeders and that kind of stuff, I think um, misses the point for an awful lot of women. And it's interesting, several uh, women, because I have a kind of sub-specialty in my practice of helping women make decisions about motherhood and also come to terms when they've decided not to. Um and I had one woman who went to the Child-Free, I don't know what it's called, the Choffrey League or the Choprey Network, and she said what made her uncomfortable there is that everybody was kind of aggressively we don't like children, we hate children and she said, I have struggles about it. I and I feel I feel mixed about it and there's no room for that.
0: Right. So it's not just that we don't want to face loss, it's that we don't want to face
1: ambivalence. Yes. That's right. Uh, that we don't wanna that we don't want to face the fact that life always involves regrets there's no life without them there there are feelings even if a woman has decided early in her life that she doesn't want to be a mother she's cut something off she's she's and it usually has to do with her relationship with her mother and she still needs to work that out i mean it doesn't mean she has to want a child but Cutting things off doesn't make them go away, in my experience.
0: I want to come back to that. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Dr. Jeannie Safer about choosing not to have children. So I want to talk about the relationship with your mother. If you you choose not to become a mother, you know, I think there's often a stereotype that that must mean that you had a terrible childhood or that you, God forbid, you don't ever want to be like her. You
1: know, it's such a very interesting thing because... um, you know, you kind of think that at first. Well, uh, you know, you had a trauma and therefore you, you either raised all your brothers and sisters or somebody was psychotic or, you know, your mother wanted to kill you. But, you know, what What I found also is that how many people who had greatly difficult relationships with their mothers couldn't wait to have five children. Right, and
0: really, really wanted to give them something different than what yes. they had and were and, so motivated. And actually
1: fixed their own childhoods in some real way, healed themselves by, having, by creating a family that was different from the family that they came from, so this notion that, that women who had awful mothers don't want to be mothers and you know, is, is preposterous. I mean there's a mixture. There are some women I talked to who had lousy mothers, and what, what I found most interesting is that many, many women I talked to when I was in this category had mothers who were mixed, but basically very devoted and very nurturing and very ambitious. But the one factor that I found that seemed to characterize at least the women that I talked to who decided not to be mothers is that their own mothers, uh, the good ones, which were the majority, had not had careers even though they were ambitious and intelligent. And there was a certain frustration that they experienced in their lives that the daughters picked up on.
0: And they didn't want to repeat that They didn't want to
1: repeat it. And that was certainly the case for me.
0: And then given that, did most of these women whose mothers had frustrated ambition, did their mothers turn around and support them in pursuing their ambitions? Well, I can
1: tell you about me. Yeah. Um, My mother was absolutely thrilled that I wrote Beyond Motherhood, which I dedicated to her. She was proud of it. She felt that this was the true expression of feminism. I was astonished because I was worried that she would take it personally. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, because I also talk about the difficulties in my relationship with her and how that contributed to my choice not to have somebody else that needed me in certain kinds of ways, that I wanted to be the center of my own experience. you know. And, and she was such a powerful force and, and needy in subtle ways that I never could feel that I was the center of my own experience. Uh, so it was a very mixed thing. But so she, she was gracious. St- she could take that. She could, and I gave her enormous credit for that. Mm. And as I said, it surprised me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> there was one wonderful moment uh, that we had. And she had always wanted me to be a writer, anyway. And I had, you know, one of the things I say in the book is uh, true maturity is doing something even though your mother wants you to. Right. <laughs> right. But I remember when uh, I, I was on the Today Show for Beyond Motherhood, and I didn't know it. You know, I was, I was very new at this. And I was in the green room, and I thought it was a local show because there's a New York version of it on the weekend. Oh. And so somebody, I'm hearing the weather in Wisconsin. I'm thinking, wait a minute. And I asked somebody there, I said, what show is this? <laughs> and they said, it's the Today Show. And I said, now this is before a long distance was, you know, cell phone. And I said, um, can I make a telephone call?
0: Right. Oh, no, my mother's going to see this. <laughs> no, no. I can oh. to
1: make a telephone call. And I called her and I said, turn on the television. I'm, oh, on. See. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on talking about the book that I dedicated to you. Ah, oh, that's so, great. Um, you know, one can identify... You see, this is this is the subtlety and the complexity of relationships. One can identify with almost every aspect of a relationship with your mother, except as a mother. hmm You know, I identify... I mean, I, I I have the same kind of way of dressing as my mother. Uh, you know, you could see, if you looked at, at the way I decorate, that it certainly shows I have a lot of her in it. I mean, my taste in music is similar. I mean, there are a lot of things that are similar. But I... Clearly, on some level, I didn't want that aspect of her life to be mine.
0: You saw, you saw that it was painful for uh-huh. her.
1: I saw that she gave up a lot without really letting herself know that. And of course, in those days, you know, to be a doctor's wife, they very few doctor's wives worked in, the, you know, in the fifties. And she was a very talented woman, and she ought to have worked. In fact, she did. Uh, after I left home, she did. So there was really no model that you had in
0: some of the people you interviewed for a woman who could be fulfilled in her career
1: and be uh, fulfilled as a mother. Well, there weren't all that many. Right. But the fact is, even if some women can do that, that doesn't mean that all women can do that. You know, there are some people who who can kind of do do both things. But my feeling is that that's okay for some people, but it isn't for everybody. You know, I don't think having it all and doing it all and being superwoman um, is all that easy. But it comes at a price. I have no doubt that it does. Again, you know, there's no life without regrets. I mean, I know the mothers that I know who have full-time work are struggle every time their child is sick. You know, or they struggle when they have something that they really want to do at work. Right. You
0: know? Both. Or, or, God forbid, they want to go out and meet a friend. Exactly. Right. So I want to I come back to your story because there you are. You've gotten married at 33. You start really taking this on as an issue at 35. And you, you get clear, I want to want, but I don't want. Mm-hmm. Did you struggle personally with the feeling of, you know, what's wrong with me? Oh,
1: absolutely. Now, now on top of it not only did i have what's wrong with me but here i am a psychotherapist who's supposed to be a paragon of mental health <laughs> right and so what's wrong with me is there
0: something almost damaged about me or
1: something yes, d- defective? It, it, it felt like that there was some way that that maybe i couldn't really love or that you know one of the things is am i really selfish you know because if i want a life that doesn't have anybody else needing me in that kind of way. And I thought, well, I don't care if my friends need me, or I don't care if my husband needs me, or I don't care if my patients need me. But somehow a child was different.
0: Yeah, so some is there something closed about my heart? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And how did you, How? what was your path
1: out of that fear? I realized when I looked into my heart that it wasn't closed. I had to really look and i thought there are lots of ways to love no there really are lots of ways to love and if this you know it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with me if i don't want this it may have to do and that's why i did you know as much introspection as i did it may have to do with the person with the meanings of this for me and that's my truth right so you got to you get to reference yourself as opposed to the external standard you have to you have have to, and one of the things that was very interesting uh, in terms of resolution, that one woman I I interviewed, I'll never forget this. She was a gallery owner in New York City, and she said that she didn't really deal with the shame about it, the public notion like you know being different from other women, until what, what she used to do is when people would ask her you know do you have children and or you know do you want children or, and she would say I, you know, I don't have them yet. Yes, you know as a way of of uh, fudging it because she was embarrassed to admit it. And one day, and she was in her 40s at this point, she realized that she had just said to somebody who would asked her the question, no, I I decided that it wasn't for me. And she realized that that public acknowledgement meant that she had worked it out inside herself.
0: Or she heard herself saying it.
1: Yes, and that she wasn't ashamed. Because there is so much stigma associated with this.
0: Yes, there's so much stigma associated with almost any family type that isn't sort of the 2.2 kids. That's right. Too big, only one child, no kids. It's all
1: wrong somehow. That's right. And there's some idea of how you're supposed to be. Now, the fact is that you are different. I mean, I remember, now in New York City, you can kind of get away with it because there's you know lots of everything here. But I remember going with a friend to a health club in New Jersey, a suburban New Jersey. And I realized that she and I, we're the only women in the place who weren't talking about their children, because neither of us had them.
0: Right. It wasn't about sleep and diapers and no. <laughs> feeding.
1: <laughs> no. And what school they were going to and, you know, about, and, right. and I realized, my goodness, if I was out here, what would I do? I would feel like a fish out of water.
0: So having a community of people that support you and get it and have made similar choices makes an enormous well, difference. Well, it certainly
1: makes it easier. And I also interviewed a woman who lived in suburban Long Island where she was surrounded by mothers who had decided not to be a mother. She found a way. Right. You know, she had a very intimate relationship with her husband, which is very typical, by the way, of... Healthy women who make the choice not to be mothers—they want an intimate marriage. They want a man all to themselves. Very often, they were daddy's girl.
0: I'm actually really struck too that you mentioned that uh, couples' relationships where there aren't children are more egal—tend to be more egalitarian.
1: Yes, yeah, Which... there's a lot of studies to back that up. And you know, first of all, there was some research that said, "Well, look what happens if you don't have children—you get divorced." And then somebody realized that what's happening is people aren't staying together for the children. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, most of the marriages were dramatically terrific. Ah, that's great to hear. Um, you know, that, that, and they were also unusual. I mean, my husband's eight years younger than I am. And there were all kinds of things like that.
0: You wouldn't want to do something conventional, would you, Jeannie? <laughs> <laughs> I already have that feel about you.
1: This well, I mean, it's not its not aggressively so. I mean, I just realized that, that what's really important in my life is, is finding out who I am, not who I'm supposed to be.
0: I meant it in the best possible way. <laughs> this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm interviewing Dr. Jeannie Safer about choosing not to have children. So I want to shift now to um, the pressure that the comments, you know, you're talking about your friend who kept saying yet as a way to fudge it, but Um, I'm, I'm guessing that you also experienced people saying, oh, wait, but you have to
1: do this. You know, how could you not do it? Well, you know, my struggle was so internal. I may have been somewhat unusual about this. I mean, I think, I think I felt the sense of, oh my God, am I not uh, able to love, Um, but a lot of people feel like they're left out of the world. You know, like everybody's having children, and there they are, and they don't want to do it, or they're not doing it, and, you know, all their friends are going to be doing it. And, and I think it's, it's a huge thing for people. I had, there were two stories that women told me that I thought were very interesting. One is that a woman who was going to church on Sunday, it was Mother's Day, and they were giving white carnations to all the mothers. The mothers would just stand up and come up and get them. Yes, and there she was standing there,
0: mm.
1: you know, uh, left out of the white carnation line. And then my my favorite story um, to talk about the the social pressures. One person I interviewed went into a store to get a video camera. She was a a uh, actual producer of of documentary films, and she was looking around the cameras and. The um, I think it was a man took care of her as usual in electronic stores, and he said, "Oh, uh, are you getting this to to take films of your children?" And she said, "Well, no, I don't have any children." And he looked at her and said, "Well, why are you getting a camera?" Oh, as if there couldn't be anything else valid. That wouldn't there wouldn't be any other reason for a woman to get a camera. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of of social uh, pressures and assumptions.
0: I'm guessing she spent the next couple of weeks rehearsing in her mind the better comeback that she wished she'd made right. in that moment.
1: <laughs> but there really is the assumption you know, that women who don't have children, that there's something wrong with them. Either they came from horrible backgrounds, you know, traumatic, awful backgrounds, or they're just kind of shriveled up, or they're like hard-driving career women who were cold. You know, and this is preposterous. It's absolutely preposterous. You have all kinds of women for whom motherhood is not right.
0: My my guess, and you mention this in your book, is that for some of the mothers with children who give pressure to others, that there's something there about uh, maybe even wistfulness about all that, that a, a woman without children gets to have that they wish they
1: had. Yes, I think there's probably some unconscious envy that's usually denied. Now I did have one one mother that I knew wrote me a wonderful letter that I actually quote in the book when she was talking about this she was saying that I know she uh, she said I know you can take vacations and trips all over the world and I can't do that and that but I see that there's certain things that I have and it was really in the spirit of of grappling with this you know we there are things you get and things you give up
0: that's right. And I, I think for women who do choose to have children, part of the taboo of acknowledging the loss is the feeling that if you really speak to any ambivalence, that your child will later find out and, yes. will, be,
1: and will be hurt by it. Well, you know, the fact is that the child already knows because yes. ambivalence is impossible to avoid in any relationship. You know, I remember a, a patient of mine who had long, long to be pregnant and had a child and she came for her first session after this and I was very pleased that I had helped her through this and you know. Anyway, so she came and she told me that she had this fantasy when she left her child with a, a babysitter who was somebody who lived upstairs, that she was terrified that this woman was going to run back to Columbia with her child. Yeah. And I said to her, That would be convenient. <laughs> 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 and could she laugh or did she look with you at you with horror? She she looked at me with horror and then she laughed. Because the fact is that ambivalence is built into us, you know, and ambivalence about children. I mean, the fact is, if you acknowledge it, it does so much less damage. There's so much a screaming baby in the middle of the night. Only a saint. Right. Who are we kidding? There's so
0: much freedom in acknowledging that, you know, in all relationships, there is (laughs) love. (laughs) There is hate because. It is a tyranny, it, a true tyranny to imagine that we're only supposed to feel love as mothers because that's how, I mean, in some ways I think that is the heart of bad mother anxiety.
1: Oh, I agree with you. And I think women are horribly tyrannized by society and by their internalizations about that.
0: Right. So many of the women I've been interviewing in this series talked about, they, you know, they just didn't enjoy being with their kids all the time, they were bored, they were longing to be somewhere else, and they they felt so guilty about it. And they had no one saying to them, of course you have ambivalence, of course you have
1: boredom and frustration. Yes, and and then it's built in and it's okay. it's, It's really okay that it doesn't mean you're the monster mother of the year. Right.
0: Right. I almost feel like every mother needs to hear that said to them. Maybe you know, like every oh, hour. <laughs>
1: absolutely. I think they should have it written somewhere. I mean, and you know, it's it, of course it's easy for me to say because, but but I don't. I, I know that that I was afraid of that. I was terribly afraid of that.
0: Terribly afraid of what? I was
1: afraid of not wanting it. I was afraid of the fact that I hate Disneyland. I
0: was right. Yes, that's right. And of how guilty you might feel if yet, in fact, you chose to have a child and there you were Yes. at times feeling like, what have I done?
1: Well, I wasn't going to feel it all the time.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And that that's yeah. a whole other story. We are going to have to stop. I know that some people may want to contact you further or get a hold of your book. What is some way that someone could follow right. up with well, you? Well,
1: first of all, if anybody wants to read Beyond Motherhood, Choosing a Life Without Children, you can get it on Amazon. On Amazon.com, and my name is Jeannie, J E A N N E S A F E R. I also have a website that uh, talks about all my books, and you can listen to other broadcasts I've done and read articles I've written, and that's Jeannie Safer PhD. Well, what is it now? <laughs> remember. Yes, it's Jeannie Safer com.
0: Okay, so that's J E A N N E
1: S A F E R. PhD.com. And you can also order any of my books on that website.
0: Dr. Jeannie Safer, it has been such a delight to talk to you. Thank you for your honesty and generosity in sharing your story.
1: Well, you're welcome. It was wonderful to talk to you, Anne.
0: This is Safe Space. My name is Dr. Anne. We've been talking tonight about choosing not to have children. I met my guest has been Dr. Jeannie Safer, the author of Beyond Motherhood Choosing a Life Without Children. If you have a request or suggestion for a future topic, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be starting a new series on living with failure or feelings of failure.
1: Uh, coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.